the return of the ark. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. Stay with me. I'm going to read quite a few verses. I promise you it won't hurt you. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill in Uzzah, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord with all kinds of instruments of fir wood and harps and string instruments and tambourines and cisterns and cymbals. And they came to Natorn's threshing floor. And Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against us, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah, breach of Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Then the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Now it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obadiah and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet. Now the ark of the Lord came to the city of David. Michelle, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it, just a tent actually. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of the host. And he distributed among the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both to men and women, everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. And David returned to his household. And Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michelle, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. 
Therefore, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Father, we thank you for your word that's living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Let the anointing of your spirit pierce into our souls, our spirits, feeding us life, delivering us from wrong, showing the devil who's boss. Anoint your servant, your word, and your people. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. The ark of God in the Bible, God told Moses, I want you to build me an ark that I will dwell in. My presence will dwell in that ark. So God gave him the dimensions. It's three and a half feet long, two and a half feet high. Four rings at the top, four pole, or two poles to carry the ark by the priest of the Lord. It was made out of acacia wood and then completely covered with gold. And then on top of the ark there was a lid. And the lid was made of solid gold. And it was two angels and their wings touched. That top of the ark was called the mercy seat. And in the Old Testament, God then gave Moses a tabernacle concept. And so the tabernacle concept, there was an outer court with no roof. And you came into it, there was the laver and then the rosin altar. The laver was a big bowl of water for cleansing. And the laver was, the bronze altar was for sacrifice. And then there was a, another compartment which was for the priest. It was called the holy place, and it had a roof. And it was, it was contained and concealed, and inside of it was the golden candlestick, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And that part of the temple or tabernacle required daily maintenance. And there was no light in there but candlelight. And then beyond there, there was a curtain. And there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And in there, there was only one thing, the Ark of the Covenant. What Moses was built by God, now what David's bringing back to Jerusalem. And it contained the Ten Commandments, a, a pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. And in that place, no one could come, no one could see, no one could touch it, except the high priest one day a year on the Day of Atonement, where he would sp sprinkle blood, atoning for the sins of Israel, really postponing judgment until Christ came. So it was this very, very holy thing. And the, the primary function of the ark was God longed to manifest his presence to Israel, but God could not indwell the unregenerated fallen soul of sinful man. So until Christ came and we were born again, the Spirit of God could not indwell us. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit mantled over people but could not indwell them. So the ark was God's presence with Israel. Super significant. Couple cool stories. Israel's often tried to use the ark in, in moments of battle and, and God was faithful. But then God got tired of being used by backslidden people. And they're fighting the Philistines and now they lose. And the Philistines conquer Shiloh. They come and they kill Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord. And they take the ark and they take it out of Israel into Philistia. And the Bible, there's a great historical companion to the Bible called the Chaldean Paraphrase. And it says this in, a, in an ancient manuscript of history, that it was Goliath himself who boasted that he killed Hophni and Phinehas. And he lifted up this ark, which would be considerably heavy, and personally carried it out himself. And so they brought it out of Israel into the land 
of the Philistines. So once it's there, all hell broke out every place the ark went. And so I just want you to not worry about the last days. The devil can't mess with anointed people. The devil can't mess with God and win. It just doesn't happen. So they put the ark in their temple, the temple of Dagon. So they had Dagon, Ashereth, Baal, Beelzebub, their deity structure. And Dagon, their chief god, and Dagon, they put it, the ark of God, you know, uh, signifying their god conquered Israel's god. And so the next day they open the door and the priests come in and that Dagon had fallen over. This massive stone statue had fallen over. And so the priests gathered around and they got workers and they propped it back up. Any God you have to prop up, is it worth worshiping? Come on. Any God you got to help out. And so the next morning, the second morning, they, they open the door and they come in and Dagon has fallen uh, again, he's on the ground. This time his head fell off and both of his arms fell off. It's just a torso. All that's left. And the priest knew that some spiritual power was greater than theirs. And they shut those doors and they locked them for a century. No one go into that place. They were afraid. And so then they started sending the ark to different cities in the land of the Philistines. Every place the ark went, there was massive uh, calamity and, and pestilence. People died and gross things happened. So they kept moving it. The ark of God was only in the enemy's hands for seven months. I don't know how long the devil's been messing with you, but his time's up. His time's up. And... So they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a new cart. And they put the ark on the new cart. And then they found two cows that had never, that had never pulled an ark, never pulled a cart before. They were nursing cows that had, both of them had young calves. And they took them away from their calves and they put them on a road. And there was a fork in the road. One road was back to their calves, back to the land of the Philistines. And one road was to Israel. And they said, if, the cow, if these cows go toward Israel against their nature, will know that God has sent this pestilence to us and that this is the ark of God and we're sending it back. So they put the ark there and they're right there in the fork of the road and as soon as they let go, the cows started racing toward Israel. And the, and the Bible says this, the cows went lowing as they went. They, the presence of God overcame their natural instincts. I don't know what kind of, uh, when I counsel ministry people, well, pastor, you know, I come from a family, we're just passionate people. We're passionate, we're Italian, we're Hispanic, we're, we just passion. The power of God's presence will help you overcome the negative strength of your natural issues, your instincts. Never give an excuse for reasons you can't be more like Jesus. The reason we're not more like Jesus is we don't have more of God in us. Because his presence, okay, that's a simplification. And go see uh, Dr. McRae.
so the ark comes back to Israel. They're excited. But Israel mishandles it. And so they don't know what to do. So they put it in the house of Abinadab. For 70 years, it's in a guy's barn. It's not, it's not treated right. It's not respected. The presence of God is hidden even though it's with him. David becomes king. He says, first item on the agenda, get the presence of God back. Okay, come on. <clears throat> Why? Because the Western church has been present presence-less for so long, we think it's normal. And people are offended whenever there's a presence encounter. Well, I don't believe in the fall. I, I, I would have prayed for Chuck Smith's son. I didn't know who he was. He came to visit a church, long-haired guy in the 90s. I said, I have a word of God for me. Just like in the service, I stopped preaching and walked down. He says, you can pray for me out loud in front of 1,500 people. Pray for me, but don't touch me. So I moved 20 feet back. I said, is this far enough? He says, yeah. I lifted up my hand. I said, in the name of Jesus. He flew back 10 feet in front of 1,500 people. <laughs> the funniest part was when he got up, he shouted, I told you not to touch me. And the whole church are laughing their heads off. People in religion are so used to powerless moments, they don't know how to treat the power of God that's manifested when the presence of God is un un unhindered. Come on. So if you describe CFTN, I would say we're a presence-driven church. Why? We just made you stand for 50 minutes during worship. No other big church in Phoenix does that. I don't care. Let them have their 12-minute services. I, we don't have service for people. We have service for God here. We're presence-driven. And your pastor's a maniac worshiper. And you're lucky if we stop at 45 minutes. So, so David now says, okay, we're bringing the ark back. Let's put it on a new cart. <laughs> David didn't know the history, the biblical pattern. So he adopted a worldly method to accomplish a kingdom purpose. The problem is this. No matter how good your intentions, God won't bless them when they're done the wrong way. Oh, Pastor, come on. We love each other. It's like we're married. In our eye, we don't need all that stuff. Oh, really? So, so there's no difference living together and being married? Oh, that's, well, God knows our hearts. He does. They're rotten to the core. <laughs> the Bible says sex is for marriage. Thank you, two brave people. I knew when I was 12 years old, I'd be married. Why? Because I wanted sex. <laughs> Simple. But okay, I got to get married. 
I wanted romance. I wanted, I wanted a bunch of other stuff. But sex pretty high up there. <laughs> the temptation in the presence-less church has no alternative but to build new carts because they have no familiarity with the pattern of the presence. So they build a new cart, it stumbles, Uzzah touches it, the ark, and he dies. David is confused, he's hurt, he's offended. I suppose he's mad at God a little bit. How, how could this happen? How could I do the right thing and have a wrong result? So he reads the scriptures and finds out that the ark had to be carried on the shoulders of four Levites, four Levitical priests. And that every six steps there had to be a sacrifice. So they, so he, he's going to get it right now. So the ark's now at Abinadab's house for 70 years. No one wants it back. Saul never cared about it. David won't live without it. It's at Obadiah's house three months. And I would have loved to be this guy. Coming to King David. King David, I have a report. Yes, Michael, what is it? God's blessing those songs off of Obadiah. His cattle, his crops, his kids, his health. I mean, everything he has is blessed beyond measure because the ark is there. And David said, really? God wants you to give, give you a testimony that makes people want God because they see what he's doing. Come on. <clears throat> we want to be walking billboards of the goodness of God. We want to be walking billboards. And, and so the interesting thing, so Obadiah, this Gittite, the ark's there, three months, everything's blessed. Can you imagine he's just, he's just minding his business one day, there's a knock on the door, it's King David. Hello, sir, I'm King David. Yes, King, what do you want? Can I, can I put the ark here? Yeah. It's there, he stores it, cares for it. Three months, David gets it. Now, here's the interesting thing. Would you read on in Scripture? Obadiah became addicted to the presence. So I don't know what he was before the ark came. But after the ark left, David said, I, I need some choir members that will sing 24 hours a day. 24-7 around the ark of God in my tabernacle. And Obadiah says, sign me up. <laughs> then David said, I need some gatekeepers that will guard the presence of God. Obadiah says, sign me up for that too. He signed up for at least three stewarding aspects of the ark. Because once you've tasted the glory of God, you can't live without it. <laughs> And for his entire life now, including his sons, they kept following the ark. Oh, what a great testament. David goes to his house, brings up the ark, six steps, carried on the shoulders of Levites, and then a sacrifice. Now, a couple of things that are really important. Every, in the Old Testament, that's where God dwelt. He could not dwell in unregenerated man. In the New Testament, God doesn't live in a box. He doesn't live in this room. You know, his presence is everywhere. But he dwells in the regenerated spirits of born-again people. He dwells in believers. Know you not that you are the temple. 
the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. All of us are carriers of every part of the nature of God. And God wants us to carry His presence and steward it so beautifully that it brings people to Christ. Here's something I posted on Friday about this message and about being a carrier of the glory of God. I think this will bless you. Every room and relationship you enter changes because of your presence. You're a carrier of something so powerful that environments and atmospheres immediately change when you arrive. Now, here's why I lost some folks this next sentence. I went from teaching to meddling. Instead of pleading with God to send you to a better place, accept the heavenly assignment to make the place you're at now better. As a greatly loved and anointed child of God, what you're carrying can change everything, every place you go. Turn to someone and say, I'm a carrier. Tell them that. So all of us have the opportunity to carry as much glory of the presence as we desire. So that's why we sing we want more. We want to be filled with more. So we carry more. So your glory can be seen. So lives can be changed. Now it's important, I think, a couple of things. Because often in life we beg God to change our circumstances when God sent you to change those circumstances. Come on. Oh, Pastor, I work with horrible sinners. Awesome. What you carry in the work. The church in this moment in history has to stop playing defense against a, an aggressive, sinful culture and go on the offense. Because they're carrying nonsense and demons, and we're carrying heaven and glory. And we need to show them the contrast between these two worlds. The reason why have you had this happen, the reason why for no reason at all people will become hateful toward you, will become offended at you. You've not even done something yet to offend them. And there's hostility toward you is because the anointing in you irritates the demons in them. That's going to become a more and more common occurrence. Now when that happens, you just need to know something. You're supposed to be there. Come on, if you're not irritating the devil, you're not doing enough. Come on. If, 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 so, so God, so, so he's bringing the ark back. Things are looking good. God's, and, and then David just goes crazy. He dances. He's whirling. He's leaping for miles. He's, he's in good shape. One of the good things about an aerobic workout just, just put your thing on at CFTN. Yeah, I just, I just lost you know, 10,000 calories in this worship service. David's twirling and dancing, and he's got, you know, he's got his, his, his Nike sweatsuit on. He, he took off his mantles. He took off his crown. He took off his royal robes. 
man, when we worship God, there's, there's no crowns, there's no titles, there's no robes. It, it, it. Can you imagine being the king of a nation and the best worshiper in the nation at the same time? Nobody outdo him. He's worshiping his, and his wife, he married, remember when he killed Goliath? The two significant rewards were no taxes for life, and you get to marry the king's daughter. So he marries Michelle. And now she's looking from her high-pitched place of religious judgment. And she looks down, and she thinks her husband's acting like a clown. How dare you behave like that? You were so undignified. And David said, you think that's bad? What do you see me tomorrow? I will be even more undignified because my worship ain't for you, it's for him. Come on. Uh, well, Pastor, I didn't really like today's worship. That's okay, it wasn't for you. So David's going crazy, and, and, and David says this, you don't understand something. I understand what this means. And for the rest of her life, David never slept with her again. She died childless by David's choice. She became barren by being critical. Never criticize someone's passion for God just because it's beyond your limits. Come on. Well, you know, I, all over America today, preachers, well, you know, you, we don't need all that emotionalism. Liar! <laughs> Take that pastor to his favorite sports team and he comes home horse, got in two fights with other, <laughs> lost. Ah. I used to feel that way about the Suns until I lost all hope. Pray for me. It's like a, it's a trial to be a lifelong fan of them. <clears throat> Get behind me, devil. So David's got the ark. It's back now. Things good. And the Bible says this, these three points. They brought back the ark with gladness. Come on. Come on. It, 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 church must not descend into a constant sorrowful assembly. Well, it, when we act like that, it's because all we're seeing is the behavior of the culture and not the wonders of God. Come on. David brought back the ark of God with gladness. His joy was contagious. Watching a funny video, guy to bus, he starts, he had a great laugh, he starts hilariously laughing. By the end of the video, everyone on the bus was laughing. It was, it was a contagion. Man, there's a lot of things spreading like wildfire. Why can't we spread some joy? Okay. Lastly, the Bible says they brought with, with gladness, with the sound of trumpets, and then thirdly, with shouting. Now, the word used here in the Hebrew is teruah. And teruah 
is not the shout of, you know, uh, kids to get off the roof. It's the shout of destiny that erupts in a person's soul when they have a destiny encounter with God. It's used four primarily times in scriptures. It's used, it's, it's, his first reference is in Joshua when they took Jericho. And the walls of Jericho came down with what? A shout. A shout of destiny. Teruah. Secondly, it's used for jubilee. Teruah. The shout of jubilee. Every 50 years was the celebration of the Feast of Jubilee. And its intention was that every debt in Israel would be forgiven. So the, the, the idea was so not, there would not be generational debt burdened on families. In antiquity, if a man died in debt, another person could claim his children to be his servants to pay off that debt. Just really tough stuff. So God broke the pattern of lifelong debt by saying the 50th year, all debt forgiven. And by the way, all lost properties restored. Jesus stood up to preach and he said that the spirit of the Lord God's upon me. He's anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor. And one of the things he says, to announce the year of Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus said, God's going to forgive all sin. He's going to wipe away sin from your soul through my blood. And Jesus spoke of the importance of our spiritual jubilee. And then thirdly, it was used when in Ezra, when they laid the foundation of the temple after it had been completely destroyed, they, were, they laid the foundation. And when the men of Israel saw their foundation restored, there was an eruption to heaven, a teruah. When an important spiritual foundation is formed in your life, your spirit will leap with a shout to God. Lastly, it's used here. When the presence of God is restored to the people of God, there's a true, a shout, a great shout of destiny. Now here's my last ideas. The sound of the last move of God is a great shout. Come on. I appreciate all realms of worship. But a great shout, the king is with us. The church has been beaten into silence. The church has been threatened into an intimidating silence. The church going to get its shout back. <clears throat> we, we don't shout because the politician we hope for wins. Or things change every, we shout because God is with us. And that, my friend, is always more than enough. The Lord God is with us. Thank you for listening to me today. Will you stand to your feet, please? <clears throat> Prayer team, if you'd join me down front. Turn to three people and say, I'm getting my shout back. The greatest and most important decision a person ever makes is when they discover Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Jesus came for the whole world, but his salvation is received individually. 
it's, it's not enough your parents were saved. It's not enough your spouse is saved. It's not enough if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're supposed to be here today. You're supposed to be listening by, to this message because God's ready to introduce you to the reason you were born. And that's to know God, to walk with God, and to fulfill God's purpose. And if you've never received salvation through Jesus, man, what an honor it would be for us to pray for you. It's so easy. God does not turn people away who come to receive His grace. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm already a Christian, but you've been away from God. Man, thank you for pressing through and getting to church. We'd be so honored to pray with you. And just to remind you, God's not mad at you. He wants to help you, strengthen you, heal you, deliver you, forgive you, and speak to you. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I need a healing in my body or my heart, my mind, we believe that by his stripes we're healed and that Jesus still heals the sick. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you've been coming to church while you heard Brother Sean speak for a moment in heavenly tongues during the worship service. You say, well, what's that? If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with a scriptural evidence of a prayer language, we'd be honored to pray for you. It's for every believer. Don't let anyone talk you out of that experience. It's for everyone. If, if you need prayer today for those, or maybe another reason, maybe it's just been a really tough season in your life, come forward now. We're going to pray for you. Just for 90 seconds longer, church, would you worship God with me while those seeking prayer come forward? You see your presence is heaven. We sing to me. Oh God, your presence is heaven to me. Is heaven. 